This episode of For the Love with Jen Hatmaker is brought to you by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. They can be big, difficult, even scary life things, and also small inconveniences that add up day after day. The thing is, when we keep them all bottled up on the inside and just try to grin and bear it, it can start to affect us and the people around us negatively. We may even isolate ourselves, which makes it even worse. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. This was the case for me when I was at the highest stress level in my life, where the stress was even having physical consequences for me. Therapy was a huge part of my healing journey to learn how to manage the stress. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash for the love today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash for the love. Have you ever noticed how celebrities have brighter, whiter looking eyes? Their makeup artists have a little secret in their kit. Lumify Redness Reliever Eye Drops. You guys, I use these every single day. Lumify dramatically reduces redness in just one minute. It literally happens right before your eyes to help them look brighter, whiter, and more awake for up to eight hours. No wonder it is so loved by influencers, celebrities, and makeup artists and has over 6,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. Lumify is also the number one eye doctor recommended redness reliever eye drop and it's FDA approved. No bleach, no dyes. Plus it's made by the eye care experts at Bausch & Lomb. So whether you're on set, on a date, or running on just a few hours of sleep, you can have eyes that look brighter and whiter with Lumify eye drops. And when you try it, you'll see that it is what your eyes have been looking for. So check out lumifyeyes.com to learn more. Welcome to the For the Love podcast with me, Jen Hatmaker. This week, we are kicking off our brand new series for the love of transitions with the one and only Amy Downs. We are going to take a deeper look at how life drastically changes after tragedy and how each of us are actually in charge of creating the life we wish to live. Hey, everybody, Jen Hatmaker here, your host of the For the Love podcast. Welcome to the show. Exciting today because we are starting a new series called For the Love of Transitions. When the podcast team and I kind of put our heads together to brainstorm, where do we want to go next? Every single one of us, and we're in incredibly different stages of life in different parts of the country, and every one of us was going through some sort of transition. Some of them were transitions we are choosing or have chosen. Some have been chosen for us. And of course, culturally right now, we are in a space where we are collectively transitioning from a year of a pandemic slowly into back to life. You know, what does that look like? What does it mean? We still have a lot of question marks around this. Tons of us are emerging, having transitioned inside a transition because a year of COVID has deeply affected our jobs, our families, our relationships, our rhythms. And so 
we had this sense that we really needed to tackle this idea of what do we do in the shift, whatever the shift is, how, how do we hold our center? What do we learn? What do we leave behind? What do we reach for? And so we have put together an incredible series with incredible guests to walk us through all sorts of transitions that most of us are finding ourselves inside of somewhere. And so as we kick off that series today, I want us to think about the way that life can be changed and impacted by choices that weren't in our control, by choices that were literally born out of tragedy and or trauma. I, of course, identify with this so deeply alongside all of you, my beloved community, all the, just the suffering that we endured together. Obviously, you know that I also lost a 26-year marriage last summer. And it's been, well, I mean, the most traumatic experience of my life. And so I've absolutely lived this conversation. What now, right? Like everything is shifting. What do I do immediately? What do I do in the short term? What about the long term? If I can even dare to think of it, everything is in transition, everything. And so I was really excited to start this series with today's guest because there is this question on the table that applies to so many of us for a million different reasons, which is how you begin to uncover your path forward after a tragedy right? Your life in whatever way was turned upside down and what you thought was happening, what you thought was going to happen is no longer on the table. And how do you come back from that? Especially when what you believed about yourself, what you believed about your your circumstances has irrevocably changed, right? Do you go back to who you were before? Do you take this set of circumstances and build off of it to change everything that you've ever done? What do you do? How do you recover? And is there a gift embedded in every tragedy? Our guest this week went through something that altered her life forever. And I was actually 30 miles away when it happened. I was in college. I was a junior at Oklahoma Baptist University in Shawnee the day that the Oklahoma City bombing happened. So today we're talking to the absolutely incredible Amy Downs, a survivor of the bombing that day at 28 years old. I remember that time of course, I mean, we all do, but living in Oklahoma at the time, 30 minutes away from the bombing, which we reverberated all the way to Shawnee. What I can remember is me and all my friends, all the students, the entire campus just huddled around all of our TV sets for days. It just, I can still remember that shock in our bodies. Amy Downs is a survivor that day. She is now a CEO. She is an author. She is a motivational speaker and you'll see why. She is an Ironman triathlete. And I don't want to steal her thunder. I want, I'm gonna let her tell the story. But the day that she walked into the Murrow building, on the day of the bombing, how she was, where she was, her state of mind, her body, her space in the world was the exact opposite of where she is today. She rebuilt her life literally out of the rubble. And it is profoundly inspiring. It is absolutely also 
I don't know, this, this word's going to sound funny, but ordinary in that she's an ordinary person who had a tragedy happen to her outside of her ability to choose it. And yet as this regular person, it was such an impetus for change in her life. And wait till you hear it. You're going to be inspired today. You really are. I am. I'm still sitting here reeling from listening to her tell her story. And she's a real light in the world. I'm, I can't wait for you to meet her. And I'm happy that you're here. So whatever you bring to the table today, whatever trauma, whatever tragedy or loss, however life has kicked the hell out of you, this is your episode today. I hope that this leaves you in a space of possibility. Okay. And so with that, I just am, I'm so pleased to bring you our first guest in the transitions series. So welcome with me to the, to the show, Amy Downs. I am absolutely delighted and honored to welcome you to the For the Love podcast. Amy, thank you. Thank you for saying yes to this. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> thank you. Oh, you've, you just, you've got a powerful story. You're a powerful person in the world. I can't wait for everybody to hear from you today. I've told my listeners a little bit about you, kind of just a very vague backdrop to your story. But I wonder if you would talk for just a couple of minutes to us about who you are and the general arc of your story and how you got to sort of where you are today. Well, let's see. Who am I? I am a mother and I'm also the CEO of a financial institution, a credit union. And I'm a cyclist. I love riding my bike. And in fact, I'm training to ride my bike across the state of Oklahoma in two and a half weeks. I do Whoa, it every year. wee. How many miles is that? It's about 500. Oh, so gosh. Get ready okay. to do that. Oh yeah, it's fun though. It's actually fun. We eat our way across Oklahoma, so we like well, ride. Terrible, so sure. It's not terrible. No, I wasn't always like that. I mm. grew up in the South, and okay, so in the eighties, mm. I had like amazing hair. Like, Same, amazing hair. It was awesome, but that was about all that was going for me. Okay, um, <laughs> because I flunked out of college because I couldn't pass the math class, and. Yeah. Somehow or another, thought that those amazing math skills would it would be best for me to apply as a job as, as a teller. That at, made real good sense. Absolutely, that was real clear. Uh-huh. Yeah. Thank God. During the interview, the CEO walked in and asked when my birthday was, which of course now is illegal. You can't ask that. But they asked me my mm-hmm. birthday, and I said, and the CEO said, "Oh, that's fantastic. You're an Aries. We need another Aries." Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that is how I got my job as a teller. That was my qualification. Oh, wow. Thankfully, thankfully, well, because if they would have asked, you know, for my uh, uh-huh. grade point average, that would not have helped me. Sure. So, anyway, so I worked at this credit union. My personal life was really kind of spiraling down, down, down. Uh-huh. And my drug of choice was food. So mm-hmm. I quickly yeah. ballooned up to 355 pounds. And I had been working for the credit union for about seven years in 1995. And that is when the Oklahoma City bombing happened. And that is the point in which my life dramatically took Mm -hmm. a a turn and a change. Mm -hmm. And from there, you know, over the next, gosh, it's been 26 years. You know, I've gone from this girl who you know had zero confidence and you know, 355 pounds and Mm -hmm. just really not living my life with any purpose, any intention to, you know, the CEO and with, you know, a master's degree. Mm. And 
I finished an Ironman triathlon when I turned 50 and hmm. you know, all these things. And I'm like, if you would have told me that yeah. 26 years ago, I would have said, yeah, why don't you add getting a rocket and flying to Mars on that? Totally. Place? Because it's that crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Like, so outside the bounds of imagination. Yeah. And I really love that because this series that you're a guest in is on transitions and I'm interviewing several people who are walking us through certain transitions. And some of those are chosen transitions we're we're choosing to make, but sometimes a transition involves tragedy that happened to us. It wasn't a choice. Now in the long game, we may find a deep well of gratitude for it as you and I are probably going to talk about here, but I'm excited for us to learn from you today because you have literally been through a trauma that's actually hard to even understand. And I want to go to that for a minute if we can, because As you mentioned, you are a survivor of the Oklahoma City bombing. I was a junior in college when that happened in Shawnee. I was 30 miles away at OBU, and that day is embedded in my Oklahoma bones, in my Oklahoma history. Can you tell us, before we get to that actual sort of that specific day, you were working in the building. Yes. I worked on the third floor. Yeah. Uh, front and center of the, the glass windows in the Murrah building. Yeah. Wow. Golly. And so you are, how old were you? 28. Yeah. 28. You would probably say at a low point in life. Yes. Just low. So can you walk us through the day? Sure. That morning... I was really excited because I was closing on my first house. Hmm. So I got to work and I literally spent the first hour of the day like goofing off. Hmm. Like I was running around talking to all my friends. I had like pictures of, you know, every room in the house. I'm boring them with the pictures. And Hmm. as it got close to nine o'clock, I was headed to my office. And I remember passing my boss, my mentor in the hall. And we did that little thing where, you know, we both stepped the same way and then the other way. And then like, like we did this little dance and, and we smiled at each other and I went and sat down at my desk. Mm. And then one of the girls that I worked with who was seven months pregnant came and sat down beside me and I was busy. I was signing on my computer. I was kind of, honestly, I was really kind of ignoring her. I was doing some other things and I turned to ask her what she needed. And I don't know if the words ever came out of my mouth or not, because that's when it happened. And for me, I, I just, I heard this tremendous roaring in my head. It was so loud. Mm. It was like my head was exploding Mm. and I could feel this powerful rushing sensation and I could hear people screaming. And I heard this woman screaming right in my ear, Jesus, help me, Jesus, help me. And then realizing that was my voice. I didn't even recognize the sound of my own voice. Okay. I grew up also, in, you know, in the 80s. And this was a time where they scared you constantly with like the rapture was going to happen. Oh, sure. Oh, if you right. weren't living right, like you were oh, going to get hit yes. by a truck and die and go to hell. Yes. So, like literally, I am screaming out the, you know, the sinner's prayer oh, as wow. fast as I can. Like, I'm like, Jesus, you know, just as fast wow. as I kick something, I'm going to die. Like, this is it. I'm going to die. And at that point in my life, I really had not been, mm-hmm. I didn't have like a daily relationship with the Lord. So Mm -hmm. I was terrified, like, oh my gosh, like what's getting ready to happen. And I landed and I was buried. I found out later under about 10 feet of rubble, I was still in my chair upside down. But all I knew was, is that it was hot, Mm. dark. I couldn't see anything. It was pitch black, whether I opened my eyes or closed my eyes, I could smell this horrible, 
horrible smell and I could not move. Gosh. And I laid there wondering, was I dead or alive? What did you think had happened? Because it's only clear in hindsight. Yeah. I can only imagine right. what, it, what you were so even thinking my, my, had gone on. Yeah. Well, what my first thought was, since I work at a financial institution and there's always sort of the threat of robbery in the back of my mm. mind, the night before I had watched some weird TV show where John Boy Walton was like a crazed killer who went in this building shooting people. So my first thought immediately went to, oh my gosh, you know, <laughs> like the, the movie I'd watched, John Boy came in uh -huh. and shot me in yes. the back of the head. I manifested like, John Boy. Yeah, yes. right. I, I'm thinking somebody shot me in the back of the head because that could, uh, was the only thing I could think of that was oh, so yeah. powerful. Mm -hmm. And wow, I had gosh. no idea what had happened. And so mm -hmm. I laid there for about 45 minutes just praying. Mm -hmm. And when I finally heard men's voices and I started screaming and they said, I hear you, I hear you, child, oh how old gosh. are you? And I'm oh. like, uh, two, because <laughs> I'm not a child. I'm thinking if I tell them I'm 28, they're not going to come get me. But I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm 28. And they said, that's okay. And they started yelling, we have a live one. We have a live one. Oh my gosh. And they mm. said, we can't see you. You know, we have to follow the sound of your voice. So we started talking and I'm like, what happened? And when they said it was a bomb, like mm. my brain did not wrap around. I'm sure. It was a bomb. Like car bombs were not a thing. No, no, States. exactly. Like, I'm thinking like an airplane has dropped a bomb on our city. Oh, sure. Like we're at war. Like right. I, I, I'm so confused. So it took me a little bit to understand that this bomb had only happened at our building. Oh, so yes, they, right. my right hand was sticking out of the side of the rubble pile. And when they finally reached me and they mm. grabbed my right hand, oh, man. I thought, you know, one, two, three, they're getting ready to pull me up and out. So they grabbed my hand. But then I hear men's voices yelling in the background. There's another bomb. There's another bomb. We need everybody to go. Let's go. Let's go. There's another oh, bomb. Oh, gosh. So at this point, I know that it's a bomb. I now know there's another one. And oh, I, I can't go anywhere. So I just started telling them my name over and over again and to tell my family I love them. And with that, they were gone. And I began experiencing what a lot of people talk about when they say, you know, you're having your life flash before your eyes. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking about how I have wasted I'm 28 years old. Mm. I'm getting ready to die. I've never really lived. Mm, and gosh. I, I laid wow. there and our, you know, I remember trying to think of a scripture. Like I grew up, you know, in a Christian home. We went to church, like every time the doors were open mm. and at children's church, you know, they would always have you like memorize scripture and they would give you candy. Like if you mm -hmm. could put the scripture, right. which I'm not sure that's really helpful, right. but anyway, right. um, so I'm trying to remember, I was like, do I walk through the valley of the shadow of death? And that was all I could remember of the scripture. And I remember thinking, well, crap, like I'm in the valley of the shadow of death. Like, I don't know what's coming next, literally, or even the scripture. Like, mm. I was just terrified. And I was just desperately like praying. And by praying, I mean bargaining. Like, mm, you know, God, sure. if you just get me out, like I'll, I'll do anything. Yeah. Like, I'll go volunteer in Africa somewhere. Yeah. Like, I'll never do anything wrong again. Like, I'm just like desperate. And then... Of all the kind of weird things to do, all of a sudden a song that we used to sing in church popped into my head. And I began singing this song. It was just a chorus that we used to sing. And it was, I love you, Lord. Take joy, my King, in what you hear and let it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. Mm -hmm. And as I began to sing that song, I felt peace. That was the first time I actually felt 
Mm. piece. And I thought I'm okay with what's going to happen next. And I thought what was going to happen next was, you know, I was going to die, but there wasn't a second bomb course. That's why I'm here talking to you. So they, it took them six and a half hours to actually get me out. And they talked a few times about amputating my leg. Uh, and thankfully my rescuers in order just to get you out. Yeah, oh my god. Because my my rescuers were risking their life. Sure. In the area where I was, it was very unstable. Yeah. And the wind, you know how Oklahoma our wind, sure. our wind was picking up and so the debris was like above them like going back and forth. Oh right. Stable. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So finally the time came and I remember I'd been telling them like it's amazing like when you're faced with like death, like you will do anything. And I remember telling them, Hey, if you guys need to chop something off, like, just do it, like do whatever you need to do. Just get me out. You know, finally they said, okay, Amy, we're going to count to three and this is probably going to hurt. And I was like, I don't care, do whatever. And they counted three and they pulled and I came out from the rubble for the first time. And I remember looking around and thinking, this is not real. Like I'm in a movie. I could not even comprehend what I saw. They put me on the back of a gurney and they took me out of the back of what was once this federal building. And I remember looking up at the sky and that morning it had been a beautiful spring morning. Mm. And now it was like gray and Mm -hmm. cold. It was like the middle of winter. It was starting to rain. And I looked up at the sky. I took that first breath of fresh air and Mm. I promised God I would never live my life the same. And they took me to the ambulance and all of the bravery ended right there. Uh, so the nurse asked me when mm-hmm. the last time I had a tetanus shot was, that's when I flipped. You that's freaked when out. I freaked, freaked out, scared the nurse half to death. Like mm-hmm. his eyes were like this big. He was like, I'm getting my supervisor. <laughs> oh, your shock, right? Yeah, just I, I, Yeah. I was just, you know, and so they took me to the hospital and I would find out over the next eight days in the hospital that <clears throat> 18 of my 33 coworkers were killed. Yeah including my best work buddy, Sonia. She had two-year-old and three-year-old baby girls at home who lost their mother. Mm. And I can't, I don't have words to describe what that was like. I can't imagine. And the phone would ring and families of those I worked with would ask, do you remember what Mm. so-and-so was wearing? And I had spent that first hour of the day running around talking to everybody about my house. Mm. And I couldn't remember what they were wearing. And Mm. it was terrible because I couldn't give them a clue, you know, nothing. And Mm. yet I had talked to every single one of them. And that was hard. Oh, man. You know, I'd like to tell you, you know, cue the Rocky music. Like I went sprinting out of the hospital to go change my life. It didn't work that way. The trauma was just so great. The, The grief, the grief was like for a while for quite a long while. It was overwhelming. And, you know, we had this, this little credit union that we wanted to survive because we felt like if it went away and merged mm. and died, that it would mean the memories of those we loved somehow mm, went away. Right. So it became very, very personal to keep the credit union going. And so I focused all of my energy at first on, mm. you know, rebuilding, helping this credit union get going. There were a few things I changed right away. One, I, I realized how important relationships are, your friends and your family. And my relationship with God changed because I realized I didn't have to be that perfect Christian person that like, you know, God's just waiting to hit me on the head or the rapture to come and me to be left behind, you know, all that stuff that I was taught when I was, when I was younger. 
and that, you know, grace, I learned about grace. So my life changed in in some ways immediately, but in a lot of ways, it took some time yeah, to of really walk through the season of grief first you mm. know, before I could start making changes. And I remember the first change that I made actually stemmed from my boss. She was mm. an amazing, amazing woman. And she called me into her office and was asking me like, what changes do you think need to be made? I'm at work. Uh-huh. And I was, I was like, I don't know. And she goes, no, you have a magic wand. Like, what do you think? And mm. I was like, magic wand. She goes, yeah, there's no wrong answer. You have this magic wand. Mm. And somehow or another, like that's so silly, but like that, framing it that way, mm. like it was like, oh, I can say whatever I want. So mm. I started talking about like, we're going to have this great culture, blah, blah, blah. And she says, okay, given your current situation mm. and your current limitations, I want you to think of the smallest steps you can do toward that and write those down and that's your action plan. And we started doing that and we were like changing and growing. And one day I thought, you know, my personal life is such a mess. Like Mm. why I'm a rock star at work. Why can Mm. I not translate that over to my personal life? And I took out an index card and I thought, you know what, why not? Mm. And I wrote down, I want to go back to school. Hmm. And on the other side of the card, I wrote down the first step, which was to look up the phone number for the college, right? Because after right. that transcript, right? Let's that, get practical. That that zero point five zero transcript, you yeah. know, is going to be important. So, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so right. I, I wrote right. down these little steps, and you know what? Then fast forward when hmm. I graduated with that degree, top yeah. of my class, my confidence was like exploding, and hmm. I I went on to get my master's, and then I'm like, I'm going to tackle this weight. It affected every area of my Absolutely. life. Absolutely. I feel like I'm on the edge of my seat. What was it like recovering from, what were your physical injuries? What did that initial process yeah. look like? I'm trying to put myself in your head initially when there's no doubt your body is hurt. Yeah. Your mind is hurt. Your heart is hurt. Yeah. I remember when they, about the injuries because- yeah. I, I was wrapped from head to toe and I couldn't move. So I couldn't see. I didn't know what my injuries were. And I remember they had wanted me to do an interview with the Today Show. And they said mm. that Bryant Gumble was out in the hall and they want Bryant Gumble wanted to interview me. And I cannot believe I did this. Okay. It has, it was the drugs. It was the drugs. <laughs> I told the guy, the media guy at the hospital, I said, Well, I don't like Bryant Gumble. I like Katie Couric. Oh my God. <laughs> I in my head, I had this whole thing that like they sent the man to do the interview. They left the woman back there and like, I don't want him. I want her. So next thing I know, they're like, okay, they want to do like a via satellite interview with Katie Couric. So I go into this interview, Katie Couric asks, what are your injuries? And I tell her, oh, I just have a little cut. And I'm thinking, because they told me I had a cut and I thought like, you know, Miss Kitty Band-Aid type cut, you know, They took me after that interview to like this big like tub that a forklift literally had to drop me in and they unwrapped my leg and I saw my entire like bone in my leg. I like you didn't even know that you're doing a national interview and you don't even know what your injuries are. I have a little cut. Like I I just, you know what, in relationship to what could have happened. Yes. I had a cut like no kidding. But no, I had glass coming out of my body for like about three years later. I was still having what? glass out of my back. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But honestly, compared to everybody else, like I was very fortunate yeah. and it took me, you know, I had to kind of learn to walk again oh, and sure. a little bit and because I was in a wheelchair for a while and then, 
to recover from all of that. It yeah. took from about April to, to about June. And then by June, I was, you know, fairly back to normal, mm. not mentally, but yeah. you know, physically. Did you have, did you have a, a therapist? Did you have a counselor who helped you begin yeah. to heal from the mental trauma? Right. So I had a physical therapist that came and walked with me every day. And of course, you know, I'm from Oklahoma, right? Mm-hmm. And so Oklahomans think that you pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Like back then it was like counseling. Like I'm not going to go to a counselor. And he asked me about the counseling and I was like, I'm not going to counseling. You know, I don't need that. Mm-hmm. Said, Listen, I was in an oil field explosion. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this is like this burly manly man. And he's mm-hmm. like, I was in an oil field explosion 10 years ago. If you don't go to counseling, this will come back. It will bite you in the butt. You go to counseling. Wow. And that day I called and I made the appointment. And, but then I started th- second thinking it. And I'm like, mm-hmm. so I called back and canceled it. And the lady called me back. That was before caller ID. So yeah. I answered it. And she's like, hey, I have an opening right now. I know you had to cancel. Why don't you go ahead and come on? Yeah. And I could not think of like a, a lie right. or an excuse fast yeah, yeah, enough. Yeah. So I went. And my first session, I sat there with the arms closed. Oh, like, yeah. oh, I'm going to, but I'm telling you. Yeah. My counselor was the key to my healing, to mm. me through it. Oh my gosh, mm. I cannot imagine. I don't think I would have really made it through if I had yeah. not gone to counseling. Thank you for saying that. I appreciate you saying that. And I also understand the instinct to say, you know, I'm I'm mentally strong enough. I don't need this help. I I can get through this. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm I'm going to a job every day. I mean, that seems like a fine thing to do. And, and then really to be even unself-aware of how deeply hurt and harmed and traumatized we are and need that level of help. So I really appreciate you talking about that mental healing in yeah. addition to your physical healing. So, okay. Thank you again for recalling that hard day. I'm thinking about the people listening who have experienced tragedy and trauma and not of their choice, mm-hmm. they're faced with some of the same thoughts that you said, like, well, I lived. So now how am I going to live? Like, if that's really just kind of what I got out here, I kind of got out by the skin of my teeth here. And how am I going to live? I wonder if you could talk to that person who is yeah. so deep in the hole, so deep in the hole that It's like you said earlier, to even imagine a vision of themselves 26 years later is an impossible feat. What would you say to that person, maybe in that space, in that early stage, in that early space? So one of the the hard truths when something happens to you that was not your fault Mm. is that you have to take responsibility for it. Yeah. And that sucks. It sure does. But it's true. If you're going to move forward, Mm. no matter what that thing is that was done, no matter if it wasn't your fault, I was just sitting at my desk working. That's right. But at some point, you have to take responsibility. And what that looks like is that means saying, where do I want to go from here? Mm. And maybe you can't see that 26 years down the road. Maybe where you want to go is just to take a shower put your Mm. clothes on and actually get out of the house. Like whatever that thing is, then you have to say, okay, what is it that I want? Mm. And and what that is, is you're creating hope for yourself, right? Mm. Hope is simply imagining a better and brighter future. And hope is realizing you have a role to play in getting it. And that's where you say, okay, given my current situation and my current limitations, Mm. 
What are the smallest steps I can take? Not mm-hmm. anybody else, but that I can take oh to God. move toward that direction. And to me, that's when you begin to take responsibility mm-hmm. for the thing that happened to you is when you stop saying, well, I can't do it because of my medical condition, or I can't do it because mm-hmm. of this mm-hmm. thing right. or that happened. Yeah. To me. Like you just say, okay, given all, given all the bad crap that just happened to me, yeah. What am I capable of? What are those smallest steps? And you begin to take those. Mm. Something really powerful happens because it does give you hope. And you mm. start realizing you can move forward. And it may be very small. Yeah. My steps were so small. The whole way my steps were so small. Mm. Can you talk about a few more of them? Because you really did take, they may have been small, but you took a bunch of them. I did. And they really moved you down the road. You well, have a completely different life. I do. And and it's because I began a habit every morning of asking myself, you know, that that question, where is it I want to be? Like that magic wand question. Sometimes it was a magic wand question just for the day. Like what, what do sure. I want the day to look like? Sometimes it was for my life, but I would then scale it way back down and say, <laughs> okay, what are the smallest things I can do to move forward? By doing that, you're constantly leveling up. So I had a son yeah. and we went to the fair. And I can't believe I'm going to talk about this. You don't know humiliation Mm. until you go to get on a ride with Mm. your sweet little young child and you're too heavy for the bar to come down Mm. and you have to get off the ride and your baby's crying because he doesn't understand, mama, why are we getting off the ride? Oh, yeah. So I was like, I got to do something here. Yeah. I want to be able to keep up with my kid. Mm. So I got a bicycle. And I thought I'm gonna I'm gonna ride this bicycle okay. like five minutes in my neighborhood. Totally. Five Small minutes. step. Small step. And then it worked up to me and my son would ride to go. This may not be the most healthy thing, but we would ride to go get us, you know, um to the 7 Elevens, get sure. like a you know, slush or something. Yeah. And then it, I just kept increasing it and increasing mm-hmm. it. And then my sister was like, you know, we could ride to El Reno, which is a close by town. And then it was, oh my gosh, I rode my bike to another town. Yes. And it just kept getting bigger and bigger. And then I found out there was this bike ride across the state of Oklahoma and it takes seven days. And I'm like, let's do it. And I have done that ride with the exception of the COVID year. I've done that ride for 10 years in a row. Wow. So Mm -hmm. it just, that's how it started. It was, I just want to, I want to, you know, go buy a bike that have, has big enough, sturdy enough frame that I can sit on it to, you know, just keep going with it. And you just, I mean, obviously completely changed your health, yes. just a, a full reversal of what you were capable of and how you're right. sort of moving through the world. Can you right. talk more about some of the, the small steps that led you to where you are right now professionally? Because this is a really, uh, yeah. this one comes full circle. I mean, it really has a bow on yeah. it. Yeah. So professionally, I, you know, of course was the teller that couldn't okay, Could do math. This, let me just tell you how bad it was. So okay. upstairs we had a snack bar and the the snack the guy who ran the snack bar was blind. He was okay. amazing though. He would recognize your voice. Like yeah. he could he came down, he he would always get a pack of one dollar bills for the okay. register. He asked me for a pack of ones. He comes back down later, leans in my window, whispers to me and slides this pack that I gave him. He says, I don't think you meant to give me this. I had given him a pack of hundreds, not of ones. Wow. Right. And so thank God, thank God somebody told oh him because he was blind. He couldn't see. 
Oh my gosh. She came back and gave them to me. When I became CEO of the credit union, the same credit union, I was this teller. (laughs) I called him and thanked him for my job because (laughs) I wouldn't have my job if he would have told my boss. (laughs) That is fantastic. Yeah. I I went back to school and I got that degree and I got my master's. And then I didn't stop there because as a woman, it, it is hard it's, it's getting less difficult, but it's very hard to compete for some jobs as a woman. And so yeah. I knew that I had to go into it with everything. So yeah. I didn't stop at the degree. I didn't stop at the master's. I actually went to a specialized CEO school for <sighs> that took three years. So wow. I did like, wow. I did all the things hmm. so that that way, when it came time to, to apply for this job, it was going to be very hard for them to say okay. very important. My boss was a woman hmm. and she mentored me. Yeah. And I think women need to really make sure that you're bringing other people along with you. If you are achieving success, like mentor others and bring them along. Yes. So the time came up, the position opened, yes. you applied, and yes. now you are the CEO of the very same credit union. It's yes. just, I can't take it's it. I can't crazy. take it. I know. I know. Yeah. It's uh, too like, special. Yeah. And last year they named me the most admired CEO in Oklahoma. So I was like, I know, I know, I know. It's so cool. Wow. So cool. Oh, I have goosebumps. I know, I know. And 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 the only reason I say that is not really to well, I guess I'm bragging, but I'm, I'm saying it. I'm saying it though, because no matter where you are right now. Don't discount possibilities. That's right. Allow yourself to Mm. dream because you don't know what the future holds. You don't know if you just keep challenging yourself, Mm. if you just keep moving forward, despite the discomfort, you don't know what's possible down the road. I'm Mm. proof. I'm not that special. I've heard you say this. I've heard Mm. you say this. What is it that sometimes good things happen to medium people? I'm a medium people. I am a medium people. I'm telling you right now. I still am. I'm not Mm. that special, right? Mm. And if it can happen to me, if I can change, if I can move forward past these horrible things that happen, you can too. Uh, You can too. That's... It's so fantastic and it's so inspiring. And I really appreciate you not glossing over the small steps, the pace of it, the speed of it. I mean, we're talking, this is 26 years later. So, I mean, I think sometimes we expect to rebound immediately. Cue the Rocky music, as you said, Mm -hmm. that is not how it goes. That's not how healing works. It's not how growth works. Slow and steady is what sticks. Yes. And it's not always linear either. Oh, it's sometimes, oh you, kind of you know, go forward, forward back. back. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Especially with grief uh, on that level, trauma that you experience on that level that probably I can imagine still sometimes will sneak up and grab you by oh, the ankle. I have all kinds of things. My son is on the drum line at OU mm. and I went to a game before COVID hit to see him play. And I'd never been to a football game at a college stadium before. I don't watch wow. football. I don't even have a TV. I don't watch sports. I don't. Anyway, I didn't know that they have explosives that go off. Oh, sure. The PTSD. I mean, my anxiety was off the chart. Yep. Like I had, I had to leave the game. Had to leave. It's just not a, that's not a thing I can do right now. Yep. And so there are a lot of different things that I still deal with as a result of that. Of course. And thank you for including that too, that some things kind of stay. Some mm-hmm. things are permanent and we say, yep. this is, this is a boundary I'm just going to have to keep. Yeah. Maybe Given forever. My- Given my limitations, yep. that's okay. What yep, can I do is. to move forward? Mm-hmm. That is. So what uh, I do, given my limitation is I can go to the game, the pregame, 
do yeah. all the pregame stuff, watch all the, be there, see the practice, do everything. Yeah. And I just don't go to the actual game. I can watch it on right. Facebook later. So. That's perfect. You yeah. don't even like football. You're no. saving yourself four hours. There you go. I know, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay, Amy, I want to ask you just three kind of off the top of your head questions that I'm actually asking all of our guests in the transition series. And obviously some of these we've already touched on, but if there's another example that you have to give. So here is, here's the first one. Has there been, maybe even recently, you can reach back as long as you want. Anything that has been a change in your life that has required a transition, maybe you chose it, maybe you didn't either way. And what did you learn about yourself in the process? Because we still continue to learn about ourselves all the way. So I decided COVID was such a suck year. I was yes. going to go ahead and just do a double knee replacement because, <laughs> you know, how could that year Why get not? any worse? Why not? Because my knees are bad and I needed to replace them. So I did both knees at the same time Ooh. in December. Yes. Which okay. is probably not my smartest move. And I learned that I still need therapy. <laughs> I got myself back in therapy and I went to a really dark place. A really bad dark place. And mm. I had to revisit who am I if I am not a cyclist? Who oh, am I? Like, who am I really outside of my achievements? Who am I? I had to wow. do some junk. Wow. It was traumatic. It was honestly yeah. very, very traumatic. So, yeah. That's great. Well, what did you discover? Who are you if you're not a cyclist? If you're so, not a CEO yeah. of Oklahoma, yeah. the Oklahoma yeah, number right. one CEO. So who I am is I am somebody who's positive who wants to live with intention. And I believe my purpose is to encourage other people and whatever that is, whether I am, you know, the cashier at the Piggly Wiggly or I am the CEO at my credit union. I love that answer. Thanks for sharing that. I think that question that you just asked yourself came to you via double knee replacement, but a lot of us have asked that this year. Who am I without the job that I don't have anymore or without the way that I've, the community that I haven't had connection to for a year. So thanks for that. Okay, how about this one? Most people do not love change. A handful do, but most most people push against the you know the grain a little on change. But just in a few words, why do you think, or if you do think it's good, just to shake things up every once in a while in order to sort of be the impetus for a little bit of change yeah. in any given category? I just I feel like you can't grow if you don't shake it up, if Mm. you don't, like I'm a gardener and when you prune things back, what happens? Like they explode, like it's beautiful. And so I think you have to kind of do that uncomfortable stuff so you can get to the, you know, the good stuff, right? You know, the greater the challenge, the greater the glory, you know, you just have to, yeah. It's so true. It's so true. And my instinct sometimes is just to stick with something because it's still working. So, cause change is, is uncomfortable. So I, I love the, the pruning analogy. That's awesome. Okay. Last question. And this is something I ask every single guest in all the series. It's from Barbara Brown Taylor and please answer it. However you want to, she asks, what is saving your life right now? Okay. When I go home, I am all about the back patio and I oh, love birds. Ooh. I'm a bird nerd. So I love watching the birds. Oh, you're a birder. Bird nerd. And then when when it gets dark, we turn on the 80s music, my husband and I, and we dance like to 80s slow dance music. And I'm pretty sure there's probably a YouTube out there. I think the neighbors like across the way, (laughs) like they go, the old people are out there. Let's, you know, it's, but we don't care. We just dance. No. Oh no, we don't care anymore. That is one of the great gifts of getting older. Yeah, patio we, time. I patio time, slow dance and 80s music. We'll do what we want. 
That is maybe one of the best answers we've ever got. I'm in love with it. Be sure to get that porch swing out there so you can do double duty on that porch time. Yeah, I feel really good about your future if you've got a porch swing out there. Okay. Can you just tell my listeners real quick, like where they can find you, where they can find your incredible work, your book, everything? Oh, so uh, amydowns.org and my book is on Amazon and that's it. That's me. That's it. That's you. I'm so happy to have spent this hour with you. Thank you so much for your time and your generosity with your story. I feel just so inspired by you, just deeply inspired by you that everything starts with small steps right where you are today. And so thanks for sharing. Huge fan here, Amy. Huge fan. I'm I'm like, I tried not to be starstruck. (laughs) because <laughs> I'm just like, woo, I'm on the gin hat. Like, it was meant to be. It was I'm meant to be. Uh, <laughs> I love it. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Well, I told you, I told you that she was inspiring and I so appreciated her saying Sometimes good things happen to me to medium people, which I've said so many times. I really am going to be thinking about several things she said today, that everything begins small, even if it just only fits on one side of an index card. Even if your first step is look up a phone number, right? Isn't that great? Look up a phone number. That is a step. You take enough of those tiny steps and you find yourself 10 miles down the road, right? If you go over to jenhatmaker.com under the podcast tab, we'll have this entire episode. We'll have the show notes. I'll have links to all of Amy's things, her incredible book, her website, more information around her, because obviously she is somebody worth following. You guys, this transition series is absolutely packed with awesome, packed with awesome. We are literally picking through virtually every possible transition that you and I are making right now in the world as we began this process of of returning to life, as we examine our systems and our families and our relationships and our finances, our careers, and really say what stays and what goes. All right. So you're not going to want to miss any of it. It is, we actually extended the series because we had so much good stuff. So many incredible guests to lead us well. So come back next week. You're not going to want to miss it. Thank you for being here and being such an incredible community for the podcast. Laura and her team and Amanda and I are so grateful for you and so thrilled to bring this to you week in and week out. All right, everybody. See you next week. 